I don't get paid enough to deal with that. That's somebody else's problem. <laughs> exactly. Welcome to the What's Up Ready podcast, where we fashion ourselves cinematic judge and jury. My name is JJ Carter. I'm here with my co-hosts, Mattson Heiner. Better red than dead. And Alec Burgess. Let's get it. As always, we appreciate you tuning in. Go ahead and hit that like, follow, subscribe button, notification bell, all that fun stuff. So you get all your notifications and you know when we're releasing episodes because we release a lot of episodes these days. That is true. Yeah, we're doing a lot. It's fun. So join us. Tell us what you want to hear. Listen to, watch. Find us mainly anywhere you listen to podcasts and on YouTube. So go check us out. Today, we are reviewing Inside Man. It was released March 24th, 2006. It was written by Russell Gewitz. It was directed by Spike Lee. Stars Denzel Washington, Clive Owen, Chawito Ejiofor, Christopher Plummer, Jodie Foster, and Willem Dafoe. A police detective, a bank robber, and a high-power broker enter high-stakes negotiations after the criminal's brilliant heist spirals into a hostage situation. If you haven't seen this movie and you want to avoid spoilers, now's the time to pause the podcast. Go watch the movie. Come back, pick up where you left off. If you have seen it, or if you don't care about spoilers, hang out because we're going to spoil the shit out of this thing. This was my recommendation, right? Yeah. And you guys, you guys hadn't seen this movie. I've seen pieces of it. Gotcha. But my first question is, I just realized I thought when I was originally thinking of this movie in my head, there's another very similar movie called um, with Jamie Foxx. What's that one called? JJ. Oh, Um, kind of similar. Law abiding citizen. Yeah. And Clive Owen and Gerard Butler. They look similar too. There's definitely some lookalikeism there. And so I was getting tripped up a little bit when I originally was thinking about what movie this was. Yeah. In fact, we were talking about before recording, me and Alec were talking about Clive, poor Clive Owen gets mistaken for a lot of different people. And Gerard uh-huh. Butler is the one I was trying to think of. That's who I always, I'm always like, Gerard Butler, you know, in case it's like, that's Clive Owen, you idiot. I'm like, oh, that's my bad. <laughs> yeah. Cause I think I even said it when we were recording something else. I was like, oh, it's Gerard Butler in this, whatever we recorded last. And I was like, oh, wait, it's not. I thought he like changed his name to Gerard Butler and got more manly. <laughs> is Gerard Butler European or Australian? What is George he British? Is Scottish. Scottish. Clive Owen is like the metrosexual version of Gerard Butler. <laughs> Clive Owen is very British. I love Clive Owen. He just does some very strange movies sometimes. He didn't do a lot of huge roles. Like this was a bigger role for him. He doesn't do a lot of huge ones, but when he does them, he, I love Clive Owen's acting. Like he's interesting to watch because he can be serious. He can be intense. I'm sure Gerard Butler's like, well, don't confuse him and me in 300. I am Mr. (laughs) This is Sparta. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, what'd you guys think, having not seen it? Like, this is one of my favorite movies. I can watch this movie anytime. So, what'd you guys think? This was brilliant. So, you know, it starts out with us kind of getting the end, and Clive Owen's character is essentially telling a story, gives you the opening, and then we go straight into the movie. And for the entire movie, my mind was blown. Uh, you know, the, the title is Inside Man, so I'm looking for the inside man. And I'm thinking, you know, okay, one of these cops is dirty, security guards in on it. Is the captain of the police really doing his job? Like, there was so much happening in this movie. It was phenomenal. And then the final wrap-up, the payoff at the end was so good, where it explains everything. But, you know, we'll get to that. Yeah. And it's um, one of those movies where you root for the bad guys. <laughs> right? 
Yeah, I liked it. I mean, this movie does not end in your traditional Hollywood way. I think that's cool. And then once I started watching, I realized all the names and people that were in this, I'm like, man, this movie just hits hard with the level of acting. And you definitely experience that in this movie. I mean, one of the side characters is William Dafoe. Like, yeah. you got that doing that for your movie? I don't even know why he decided to take this movie personally because his character could have been anyone, in my opinion. But the man, the fact that he was in it, he's probably like, man, this is the who's who of movies. I got to get in on this. And the, not Denzel Washington, but the other detective, I always forget how to pronounce his name. This is definitely one of his earlier movies. Mm -hmm. Chuito Ajiofor. Yes. I mean, like where he, I think this maybe movie probably helped put him on the map a little bit. Granted, he didn't play like a huge part, but you could tell. It was like, this guy's got something too. And this movie was chocked full of that. Uh, the only kind of a complaint to me personally, you're going to hear it from me, it's a good movie, but it was a little slower paced. And it's not that it makes this movie bad. It's just... To say this movie is full of action and things like that, it's, it's not that type of it's cerebral. There's just a lot of deeper, darker things that are considered in this movie and you understand the motivations of the characters. And it's more of like a, a crime mystery in a sense than more so like a bank heist. Because to me, when you think of bank heist, you think of SWAT, firefight, crazy stuff going down, hostages that are in the thick of it. And these are very nice criminals, all things considered. <laughs> um, I just think the pace of the movie for some may come off a little slow, but that's me grasping at straws to find a flaw from the acting to the plot, to, to the music, just to the general sense of the movie. I mean, it's a good movie. I just think for yeah. some, it might be not exactly their pace of play. Yeah. If you're looking for an action movie or something that like, it's not an action movie. It's a, and I like that you called it a cerebral movie. Cause that's, and that's why I love it. Cause we all know that those are some of my favorite movies or movies that I have to like, to keep my brain fully engaged. And the way that this movie starts, like you were talking about, Alec, is just beautiful because it looks like he's in prison. But he tells you it's being in his cell is very different than being in prison. And it's like, hold on, what are you talking about? And then he talks about the fact that he just planned and executed the perfect bank robbery. And then in my head, I'm like, yeah, but you got caught because you're in, you know what I mean? Like you got busted. So how is it perfect? And then as you watch it unfold, you're like, what the hell is happening right now? And then for the big ultimate and yeah, I just, I love the way that this movie kept me thinking. And what I really like about it now, cause I've probably seen it two dozen times. Cause it's one of Casey's favorites too. We just sit and watch these actors just act together. And some, like, I thought the same thing. I was like, what are some of these guys doing? Like Christopher Plummer and Jodie Foster and Willem Dafoe, like, they're not main characters. So what are they doing in this? But I think as an actor, that's that good at what you do in your craft, like, especially by then, these are all very established by 2006 with the exception of Chuito Ajiofor, which he was just getting started, but to be able to act alongside some of these people, like I would imagine that Willem Dafoe and Denzel sit down and go, let's make this relationship fun. Cause their very first interaction is like a pissing contest, right? Like it's, mm. you're not my boss. And it's like, bullshit, I'm your boss today, bitch. So shut the fuck up and let's do it. And I love that moment, even though it really doesn't add any value. It just shows, Hey, we can have this big swing and dick contest or we can figure out how to get these people out of this situation and resolve it. So I, yeah. And I learn new things. I see new things that I should have seen the first time I watch it almost every time I watch it. So it's just interesting to me. So I have a couple of questions for our users. A couple of things you've seen this enough. Explain to me exactly what happened with this drug bust thing that Denzel's character, the detective, like 
did he take the money? He lost the money and it's out there and he didn't do his job there. What happened with that? Cause they allude to it enough times, but you don't actually, and I like that. I don't exactly know sure. what went that out. I don't have a problem with that. I was just curious about you've watched it enough times. You probably have exactly what you think. Like, yeah, it, there, there's no solid 100% answer to it, but having watched it, what it feels like is he investigated a group of criminals. They did a drug bust. They came away with the drugs, but there's like a hundred and some odd thousand dollars that disappeared. And they think they're investigating him because he's the lead detective and would have had the most access for that money. He stole it and has Mm -hmm. done something with it. So they're looking for it. That's why one of my favorite lines is at the end of the movie when they're like, Hey, we found, they found that $114,000. Do you want to know where it was? Was it in my checking account? Was it in my glove box? I don't fucking care. And like walks away. Like I love Mm -hmm. that line, but yeah, that's the thing is it's just, and the whole thing with there is, is what they've done is it's a red herring or it's a MacGuffin that makes you think like Alec was saying, "Uh Oh, is he already crooked because he's under investigation. So is he actually part of the robbery? So it's, so it's funny. Like I never felt that because I think I had assumed enough about this movie that because I was thinking it was, um, the one with Gerard Butler and I'd seen enough bits of this movie that I knew that this is more of a criminal mastermind. And then you kind of tipped your hand, JJ, when you texted me, like, I think you said something, it's not, the ending's not what you expect. And I was like, Oh yeah, then I already know that then, then they're going to get away, which I yeah. like. Another question I had is the head banker, the, the chairman of the board, his, mm-hmm. the, that character's name escapes me. Why hold on to that, to the, the evidence that would be incriminating? Like, do you think you've seen enough times again? Is it something it's, nostalgic and he feels so guilty about it that he couldn't bring himself to just burn it. Cause he doesn't need to keep that shiz. Like just burn it, shred it. It's gone. Be yeah. done with it. But yet it exists. My theory with that is trying to think from that perspective, which is very difficult, but I think this guy but the, being full of money and old and have whatever you want. Yeah. But his no wealth, wealth, he got rich during world war two working for the wrong side. And those diamonds are what made him liquid. So my guess is when he opened his bank and he risked it and used that to build his fortune beyond, he used those diamonds. Those are his collateral. So he needed them because they were cut. Like if you see the one that he gives to Denzel at the end for his ring, that's an already cut diamond. So we're not talking about uncut diamonds. Those were somebody's property, whether it was a jeweler shops, things like that. So my guess is, is that's where those were. But that was his liquid cash to make sure if his bank failed, he's got money to be there. But he didn't end up needing it. So it probably just sat in that safe deposit box. And he probably was one of those things that, you know, you make a mistake, you do something, you feel your guilt, and then you hide it away. And then you forget about it to a degree. It's always there, but you're not, it's not on your forefront because that's where that moment where his, his employee, his secretary comes in and says, Mr. Case, one of our banks is getting robbed. And he's like, Oh no, is everyone okay? And she tells him the location and he, you see the light bulb and he's like, excuse me. That's the first time he's thought about this yeah, for who knows how long. Sure. So I think, I don't think he consciously said, I'm going to keep these forever. I think it started as a way for him to protect his investment with his bank and his business. And then it just kind of stayed there. And I'm sure it's one of those things where if he went and got rid of it, or did something with it. One, questions arise, right? If somebody finds out about it, if you just destroy it, you still have to acknowledge that it's there. And then that makes you go back and relive that terrible part of your life. So he should have gotten rid of it as we find out, but it was an interesting twist in it. 
yeah, I was, I mean, it was, it was good. I was curious to think about it. And then the other question I had is when they get down into the bank and we start to see the robbers plan laid out, which is a very good plan. They knew exactly what they were doing. They get to that room in particular, it has all like the different office supplies as I'll call it like the storage room, for instance. And you start, we start to see them through the story, they smash out the concrete floor. I can't believe they didn't bring like a mini jackhammer. I guess they didn't want to make too much noise, but man, that would have sucked. Yeah. Um, how hard that would have just sucked for oh. your hands with a jackhammer. Yeah. AKA we did that at JJ's. It <laughs> That's sucked. right. It sucks. Um, <laughs> so, but then they make that, someone makes a comment around, oh, that's a nice shitter. And why did they have to cut into the hole? Cause I get them building the fake cell to make it look like, so we could get out a week later. All, all that made sense to me. But why did they cut that hole? That part I didn't grasp as much. It's a hint that you don't understand because, but the, he says that's a great looking shithole. That's his literal shithole. That's okay. where he goes to the bathroom for the week that he spends in there. That's why they cut that. That's, that's so funny. That's why he, they beat a hole. Cause otherwise he'd just be shitting on the floor and the whole bank's going to smell it. But if it goes under there, he can like probably have some box or something that he can push it under the foundation of the, the building and it'll dry out and you won't smell anything at that point. But that's, that's his shithole. To that point for the like, wouldn't the employees of that bank, and I guess maybe it's only been a week and they hadn't come back or they, they didn't look at that room very hard. Like that was the only part where I'm like, they wouldn't have noticed that things are moved out two to three feet. That part just to me, I was like, yeah, I don't know about the optics of that. That's what I like to call hiding a bullet hole in a bomb blast. Yeah. They're not paying attention to that, especially when you add in the bags of clothes that were thrown in, it's all misdirect. Mm -hmm. It's all misdirect to keep them busy sure. and not paying attention to things that they should. Well, what about like the bank employees that know that room and that those bags? <laughs> they go in there to grab whatever they're in there for and yeah. they go back up to the floor. They're not paying attention. Well, and that's one of those things. So we have like every office I've ever worked at, we've had like even now, my office, we have like a supply room. And I think about that because it's not much. When you look at him laying in there and he's doing sit-ups, like he's up against it pretty. There's probably like, two or three inches on either side. So I would say there's like two and a half feet of space between sure. the wall and that. So it's not a ton of space, but it's enough that I'm like, wouldn't you notice that? But the more I think about it, I don't think I would walk into my supply room and go, man, this room just feels, and if I did, I'd just be like, it feels kind of smaller. What the hell's with that? And then I just grab my pen and go, <laughs> but, but I mean, yeah, I, I mean, I think I'm, I'm looking at a wall. I guess I just, I wouldn't expect the bank employees, but like the, the police and you, you make a good point, Alec, about misdirection, but you'd think like they would have canvassed a little bit more. And I'm not saying, I mean, it, clearly it could very much work. I was just wondering, I'm like, yeah, like, yeah, like, there's a little bit of suspension of disbelief, but, but at the same time, it could work. Yeah. And I technically, you wouldn't know. I mean, the bank employees would have to go off of feel, right? The only people that would actually know the dimensions of the room are the ones that built it based on, you'd have to pull blueprints and go, man, these dimensions sure. are off. But I, yeah, I mean, I think if I had to guess, I, I picture with this movie, like some bank employees walking down there going, man, this, it just feels different. But then they just grab their shit and go. Cause they put it, set it all back up the same way. But the other thing that I just thought of for the first time in all the times I've watched it is I would imagine that's the last thing on their mind when they go down there, because there's probably some serious PTSD about that floor of the, cause they were in the offices on that floor and, they have to rethink mm -hmm. all of that. So I would imagine they try to think as little as possible about that piece. Yeah. And so the employees, that's probably. I think the hardest part is when he comes out though, when he decides yeah. to come out, cause you got to come out during working hours cause you can't. And so that's the only part where I'm like, well, man, like 
you just got to get lucky. Yeah. Well, and I did love the lady. So as he's walking up the stairs with his bag, she looks the lady like turns and like, who the fuck is that? Which is funny. Cause I'm like, that's what most of us would do. Right. We just go, yeah. I don't know who that is. What were they doing down here? But then you just go on with the rest of your day. And I don't think I'd have cared enough yeah. to be like, Oh shoot. It's not like they were carrying big bags or anything that I'm like, Oh, they walked away with it. So yeah. I don't get paid enough to deal with that. <laughs> that's somebody else's problem. <laughs> exactly. So the person in the car at the end, I'm assuming that it looked like it's the rabbi that was in the bank. That's the inside man. That's the inside man. That's the guy that connect that. Yeah, that's he's the one I'm assuming is probably knows about the diamonds and what happened because he's Jewish and that tie in. But he's the rabbi that the bank robbers come in and like shove to the floor that Clive Owens character at the very beginning when they start. He was already in the bank as a customer. Was that the cell phone? That wasn't the cell phone guy. No, that was the bank manager. Yeah. Yeah. I don't remember the, the rabbi scene per se, but okay. Yeah. You see the rabbi at first when they first show the bank and he's sitting there talking to a bank employee. So he's, when you notice there's only three robbers that come in in the painter outfits. And then there's two of them that are already in the bank talking to employees. They've already started the con before they ever even start robbing the bank. Yeah. That's something I have to go back and, and pick up that detail because I missed and that's what makes it so brilliant because at the end during the wrap up when Denzel Washington's character is like, every time we get close, there's someone who gives him an alibi and we yeah. see it with the rotation. But I was lost. I was like, wait a minute, is that a, the bad guys? Like, what's he doing in the room with everybody else? Well, and they uh, beat the shit out of one of the bad guys. They bruise yeah. him up. He's one that takes his mask off and gets drugged yeah, through the floor. Like, that, it's so yeah. genius, man. Like, cause there's no way, like you can't, there's no incrimination of anyone without that perfect, reasonable doubt. So if this worked as Hollywood shows it, man, why am I as a criminal not doing this more often? You got to know the right people. Yeah. Like the mayor and his uh, friend without benefits. Yeah. Who just, yeah, what was her? She was she called like on the streets like a cleaner or something? Or what was her actual? Was she a real like I don't understand what her real job was. Her what, job was to make your problems go away. Yeah, like disappearance. Yeah, you could call her a fixer, you could call her a hype a power broker. Probably hers is more of a power broker. It's kind of the whole getting bin Laden's nephew a, a high-rise apartment or buy an apartment yeah, or whatever that was it is. A good line. So like that whole thing, yeah, we're gonna use you as a reference. There's some great one-liners in this movie but yeah like i'm sure she does fix problems but i think she solves issues and gives power out things like that so it seemed like the mayor owed her pretty hard and my guess is my assumption and what i like to believe is that she's the reason he is the mayor that's why Mm -hmm. the the favor is so big and it's so like are we finally square by the end of this deal and she's in his pot he's in her pocket so deep so that's my assumption but I love Jodie Foster. She is so freaking feisty. Like you just don't want to mess with this woman, right? Like very cunning. Yeah. I enjoy that her in this movie quite a bit and she's not in it a ton, but when she is, you can't help, but just pay attention to what she's doing. My favorite interaction is when she goes into the bank and she's dealing with Clive Owen because like, this is the first time she's met her match. Yeah. You know, she's kind of surprised. Like, this is a box. What he's after does not exist on paper. Nobody's supposed to know it exists. And he's holding it. Like, is this what you want? <laughs> Type of a thing. And then she leaves that interaction to go then Denzel Washington. 
And Denzel Washington is just as much of a match, but he's a lot more sneaky with it and underhanded. And he uses the fact that she doesn't believe this, you know, detective has the brains to go up against her would even dare, right? She's already given a taste of, you know, like, Hey, the mayor is in my pocket. What are you really going to do? Yeah. And he matches her stride for stride in the, Yep. Uh, which was so brilliant. I loved it. And that's, I think my favorite part of this movie is after Clive Owen leaves the bank. Like <laughs> it's that whole moment where we see this detective who f- it feels like for most of the movie is being outsmarted, outwitted and outplayed, even though he knows something's wrong, you can't quite figure it out. But then he gets to become this like bull in a china shop at the end and go after all of these power players who think that they've actually come out ahead in this thing and they're like nope not only did you lose your diamonds and these guys got money but you're going to jail for war crimes and i know how to bury the mayor and her fixer (laughs) it's just i love that's i think my favorite part of this whole movie is the last 10 minutes especially when when Denzel and his partner go into the banker in the, and they're giving him what for, and he flips him off with the ring on, and then he walks out, and Chuito Ajiofor's character is like, hey, man, how's your foot? It's like, I don't think I've ever seen anybody stick their foot so far up somebody's ass ever, and he starts laughing. Like, that interaction is just... Because that's how I'd be. Like, if I watch, like, somebody do that, like, just rake somebody over the coals, I'd be like... What a badass moment for you. That was impressive. So I, I enjoy that interaction at the end of that movie. It's fun. Yeah. Well done movie. Yeah, Good, interesting concepts. And you know, I don't have a lot of, of bad things to say, just except for the pace of play not being there for some people. But I mean, yeah, that's I'm kind of grasping at straws. Well, and I saw it in the theater when it first came out back in 2006. Because I, you know, at the time, Clive Owen was even big. Like he was quite on point and Denzel Washington's Denzel Washington. You know, if it was a Spike Lee joint, people were watching it back then. So we went and saw it in the theater. I remember. And I remember, like I said, most movies don't get one up on me very often to where I sit and go, Oh shit. I didn't see that coming. But the whole end of this movie and Clive Owen stepping out of the wall, I was like, son of a bitch. I've been had. Mm. (laughs) And it was, yeah, it was great. I love it when movies can get me like that. So, all right, should we rate this thing? Still. All right. I'm going to let you guys go first. Since I was so called out on some shit last episode, Matsy, go ahead and start us off, buddy. Yeah, I'm trying to think. Maybe Alec needs to go first. (laughs) Trying to debate here. I thought I knew what I was going to give this. We give it four and a half. Four and a half solid. I mean, why am I not giving it a five? Like for me, I am sometimes a pace of play person. I think I would have liked to have seen a little bit more action of some sort just to add some elements on screen, but that's getting really nitpicky. You've already heard me say the acting to the plot progression, to the twist. And maybe it's because the twist didn't hit me like I would have seen this for the first time, but this movie has such strong replayability. There's already things we just talked about here that I clearly missed and needed to go back and experience. This is one of those where I think the quality of acting just makes it something that you could return to and enjoy the delivery of these one-liners as we've alluded to, just see the playful banter between some of these, these actors and just their mastery at their craft. So solid 4.5. I think this is a movie everyone should see. It's 
a pretty clean movie as well. So if you're not looking for some of that violence, that's your cup of tea. Like you don't really have to worry about it here. You can just see good acting and enjoy it. So, I mean, JJ was a great pick. I think you're, I can't remember what movie you recommended before this one, but this is definitely one of the better recommended movies I've ever seen. Yeah. This is where I leave you was the last one I recommended that we did. Yeah, it was pretty good too. So a couple yeah. of good ones. All right, Alec, your turn, buddy. Yeah. I love this movie. And I think it's, because it's a Spike Lee movie. Mm. He does a very, very good job in kind of telling a story, but not the one that he does on screen. Mm -hmm. You know, with all the misdirection that's happening in this film, I think it really contributes to his overall success as a director and his storytelling because he is phenomenal. Mm -hmm. And it would not surprise me if that was the reason why so many great actors signed on was because it was a Spike Lee movie because he's just great at what he does. Four and a half, easy peasy. We'll watch this again, probably watch it, you know, within the next week, just because it was so great. And I mean, just loved it. Yeah. Great recommendation. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. I love this movie. For me, the rewatchability is high because of the acting. I always find something new, something that I didn't talk about that I, when you brought up Spike Lee, Spike Lee's very hit and miss with me. I either love his movies or I'm like, eh, they're always good, but they're not always great to me. There's sometimes I'm like, eh, it's, it's a little too much. He's trying too hard in this movie. But one thing that Spike Lee does better than any other actor or director that I can think of, and that is tell small stories within a big story. And in this movie to me is probably peak Spike Lee with that you know, you have all the different power players within the major overarching story, but you also have the detective or the cop that accidentally finds that the robbery is going on and the interaction he has with Denzel, which is a very poignant conversation between the two of them about him getting shot and his euphemisms as he calls them. And that understanding and conversation that they have, which was a very productive conversation. One person saying some very terrible things. The other person politely nudges them at, Hey, let's leave out the color commentary. And he apologizes and says, I'll work on that. Here's why my perspective is that way. And I thought just in a two minute conversation, if the whole world could figure out how to have a conversation like that, we'd have probably a lot less problems than we do with each other. And he has a couple of those. It's the same with Willem Dafoe. And I made, I joked about it early, but that conversation of, Hey, let's stop getting at each other to see who's got a bigger dick and figure out how to save people and get this resolved. So those little interactions, the stories within the story of people being people, I love how Spike Lee does that. And he does that mm. probably better than anybody else out there. And there's a lot of those in this movie. This is peak for me with him. But the story's fun. And the, especially, it's great when a twist doesn't get old. When I know what's coming and I still get excited about it coming, you did it well. And I do get excited about this one. It, Nothing gets my heart racing more than when Clive Owen comes crawling out of the wall because there's still a piece of me that goes, he's got to get caught, doesn't he? And then he bumps into Denzel and you're like, why would you bump into the cop that's been chasing you for a day and a half or whatever? So that excitement's still there. I'm giving this movie a five. I think it is, if not the perfect heist movie, it's one of the best ever made because it's so different and yet it feeds into all the heist stereotypes that we love just not at a heightened level, but I, I'm never bored watching this movie. And that for me is a big deal. So five for me, glad you guys enjoyed it. It always makes me happy when you like my recommendations. Everybody should go watch this movie. It's a lot of fun. 
And the music, dude, the opening and closing song, that song is stuck in my head for days. The ting, ting, ting. I love that beat and that it's great. So there it is. Alex making fun of me on mute and I love it. All right. So Matson, tell everybody where they can find us when they're not listening to this episode. Yeah, you can find us on YouTube. Check out some of our spoiler freeze as well. It's just everything that we release as well as anywhere where good podcasts can be found at What's Our Verdict, Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, many others. Check us out on TikTok. Got great videos on ice cream on pizza uh, <laughs> to movie trivia to videos with tigers in it to random things that Alex just feels like putting up there. It's a good laugh. We're posting pretty much daily there. Check us out on our website and social media just to understand what's been released or what's going to be released. Yeah, we got a lot of TV happening. Just finished Obi Wan, diving into the Westworld, got Miss Marvel, and the boys, the rest of the episodes, along with Stranger Things, will be dropping. We're really excited for Thor that's going to be coming here shortly, Bullet Train, but really trying to lean into a lot of TV, a few movies, and then doing a lot of fan favorites, recommend us as well as those that you've sent in. I don't know if they're favorites or more just torture for us, but we're excited (laughs) to start to dabble in those as well. Looking at you, Charles. Yep, yep. Your episode will be coming soon. It's on the list. Alec, what's your next flavor of ice cream and pizza? So the next flavor of ice cream that was given was lime. And there was no pizza, so I think I'm just going to stick with Hawaiian pizza and put lime ice cream on top, try and get a a baseline zero. I think if there was one combination that I would try, that would be it. Just because the... I'm pretty sure it's going to be great. Yeah, I don't like pineapple on pizza, but I like lime and pineapple together, and I like lime and spicy together, so... JJ said he'd do the pizza TikTok. No. I get JJ to do that. Not at all what I said. Alec, I will recommend, I will volunteer for one of these at some point. You tell me what I need to do and I'll do it. I'm fat and on keto. It ain't happening. <laughs> All right, Matson. You just signed away your soul. I volunteer for a TikTok, but I'm not being your specific about what kind. But it is not pizza and ice cream. I can't. <laughs> Problem is, is that I normally don't eat ice cream. So my freezer is just going to be full of ice cream. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's funny. Well, go check out the TikTok. That's it's fun. That make, makes me laugh. And I hate TikTok, but that's it's funny. All right. With that, as always, we appreciate you tuning in. We'll catch you on the next one. Cinemagic out.